0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Of grace. When we acknowledge how much God has graced us with his presence, with his character, with his spirit, we want to grow in it. We want to grow in what God has for us, what God has to give us through his spirit, through his son, Jesus. And so we call these growth areas means of grace. And traditionally over time, We've called these spiritual disciplines, and the reason why we call these spiritual disciplines is because these things that God does in our heart, these means of grace, the ways that God shows up, the way that God wants to transform our lives, the reason why we call these disciplines is because they're not natural to us. It's not natural to act in the way that God wants to bring transformation in our lives. In many ways, it's supernatural. And we need to be taught in the ways of the supernatural, the ways of heaven, the ways of God. And to be able to be trained up in that requires practice. It requires discipline. It requires trying it on. It requires failing. It requires growing. It requires pain. It requires stumbling. It requires celebration and joy in it. And so this is what we're doing in this series is we're looking at a series of disciplines throughout the next six weeks of where God, by his grace, has given us a gift to live into. So last week, the, the gift that God gave us was rest from our work, because we know that if God didn't give us the gift of rest, naturally, as humans, we would just work nonstop without taking a break. We would just do that. But we also learned last week that work isn't a curse either, that work isn't some result of the fall, but that work is commissioned by God and it's given to us because we are created in the image of God and that God works, and God steps back, and he calls his work good. God is the creator, and we create because our God creates. It's part of God's character, and it becomes a part of our character as well. And so last week, we saw that God's grace is over rest and work, and that God's grace gives us a break from work that allows us to rest in him, and it also calls us to live into his character that is creator, that is the imaginative that makes something out of nothing and that we're called to partner with him in this world. God gives us a commission in Genesis to go and rule and subdue the earth. This is God's grace among us. And so today we're going to look at two more related disciplines and these disciplines are generosity and gratitude. And the first one that I want to look at is gratitude. So let's talk gratitude for a moment. Gratitude is the space where we become aware of grace that has been given to us. And I say aware of the grace that's being given to us, that we step into a place of gratitude, is because I believe that grace is being given to us at all times, namely through God, but also through a number of relationships and individuals through your life. There are family members right now that are giving you grace. There are coworkers right now that are giving you grace. There are people in this room right now that are giving you grace and you don't know about it. You're not aware of it. You don't see it. But when a situation arises where you do something foolish or it just becomes aware that this person is giving you grace, it's giving you something that you don't deserve, but they're, they're loving you, they're showing you compassion, they're gracious with you. When you become aware of that, the only response that we have in our heart, and it's almost automatic, is one of gratitude. We're like, oh my goodness, thank you, God for giving me the grace that is so generous in my life, that I so desperately need. And so the best way that we can begin to grow in gratitude is to grow in awareness, to grow in awareness of the ways that God gives grace to our lives. And I believe that God is constantly giving us grace in our lives in little, small, and even sometimes vain ways. But they're significant, Gratitude in many ways is just the quiet or even audible thank you that we give God through the small things in life. So for example, when you're running late and you need to park somewhere and that first parking stall is open, you're just like, maybe you've parked and you're like, thank God, thank God the space is open because I was running late. We're just like, man, it's like God saw me in that moment. There's places where we say thank you when your hands are full and you can't open the door and somebody sees you in your place of need and they graciously open the door for you and they say, come on in, you're welcome. There's this grace that comes and this gratitude that comes where you are tired and you're ordering your coffee drink and the barista just sees you and they're like, guess what? I put an extra shot of espresso in your drink for free today. You're like, thank you, God, thank you. There's places where we say thank you where our work schedule that we're not in control of works out in a way that we can go see our son and daughter play and have play baseball or go dance in a play. We say thank you to God when we find ourselves in a missed accident because we looked up just at the right moment from our phone or from looking in the mirror at our kid to see the brake lights and to stop at time. We're like, whew, thank God. There are these places and these small ways that God shows up. And when God shows up in these small little vain ways, right? It's not significant that the parking spot was open. It's not significant that somebody gave you an extra shot. It's not significant that someone held the door open. But in some way, in those ways, it feels like God is communicating to us I see you. I see you. And I love you. And I'm good. And we praise God for it and we respond in gratitude because God is a God of grace. And God has sent his people to go and be people of grace around us. Like I said earlier, we were on vacation and there were these small moments of grace that happened when we were on vacation. I want to share two stories of of this with you really quickly. The first one has to do with an oven, So we go to my parents' house, and they had just gotten a brand new oven for them. Their friends had remodeled their kitchen. They were getting rid of their old oven, but it looked brand new. And my parents are like, we will take that if you're trying to get rid of it. They're like, yeah, take it. And so my parents, they have this old, old oven that's probably older than me. It's brown. It's heavy. Bake the pizza in 10 minutes. Okay? Greatest oven in the world. No pizza today. No oven today that bakes the pizza in 10 minutes. But my parents wanted this new oven. But anyways, it's time to get rid of this oven. And it's a beast. And my mom just wants my dad to take it to the dump. But my dad's like, no, let's put it outside. Let's put it on the curb. My mom's like, I don't want our house to look like a junkyard with this old 30-year oven in front of the house. My dad's like, don't worry. Somebody will take it. If it's not there, I'll take it tomorrow. So my dad and I, we carry it out. And we carry it out. And she's like, make sure it ends up in the side yard. So we carry it out to the side yard. And I kid you not, as soon as we set it down, a guy drives up in his pickup truck, and he's like, you getting rid of that? We're like, yeah. He's like, throw it in the back. And so we just chucked it in the back, and my mom's standing in the window, and her jaw just drops. I walk inside, and I was like, Mom, did you say a prayer or something? She's like, no. But she's like, God is so good. Like, that timing couldn't have worked out better. We set it down, and the truck parks right here. And we just go from here to in the truck, and he's on his way, oven's gone, and we find ourselves praising God over an oven that disappears. But God is good. It feels like God sees us in these moments. The next place is we were up in Mackinac City, and Rebecca needed a water. And so I went into one of those shops to where you would spend your life savings on a water, right? Right? <laughs> And you would spend your life savings on a water because you're on vacation, and you aren't staying and you spend that type of money because it's vacation. And you really don't have any other choice, because all the other shops are selling water at that same price, too. So I'm standing there, and I'm looking at the water, and I'm like, am I about to spend $3 on this bottle of water? And in that moment, a lady walks in, and she's looking around the store. And I go up to the register, and I go to cash out and check out, She scans the water, and I look down, and there's one of those big red signs that says, no card purchases under $5. And so I look down at that, and I look up at the woman, and I'm like, "Um," and I just start apologizing because I see the sign. I'm like, I don't don't have anything. I don't have any cash. I'm going to have to go to the car. You start doing this awkward thing. I don't know if you've ever been there where you needed $5, but you didn't want to spend $5. And they need cash, and cash is in the car. And so I'm starting to explain this. I'm getting all clammy and awkward. And this lady sees my situation, and she's like, don't worry. Put it on my tab. I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff anyways. And both of us look at her like, are you serious? And I'm looking at her like, do you know how much this water is? (laughs) And She's like, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. She's like, I'm about to see my middle son who I haven't seen in two years. She's like, today is a good day, and I'm excited. She's like, the best way that you can celebrate today is just go and take the water and have a great day. And I said, I will. I will have a great day, and I hope that you enjoy seeing your son. And she's like, I'm looking forward to it. So I get to the car, and I give Rebecca the water. I'm like, you won't believe this. I was like, this lady just paid for our water, and she's like, oh, wow. God is so good. God is so good. And the reality is that God is good. And we have these moments where we can respond in gratitude, where God graces us with his presence, where he sees us and he loves us. But the thing is, is that it's easy. It's easy when it looks like God is for you, when the parking space is open, when the bottle of water is given, when the oven is taken. But the thing is, is what begins to happen when we start having one of those days, you know, one of those days, one of those days where everything that could go wrong does go wrong. And the thing is, is that those days often turns into weeks and those weeks then turn into months. Those months then turn into a season and that season can turn into years. And in that space, we begin to question, does God see me? Does God love me? And is God good? And that reminds me of a man in the Bible called David. David was a man who was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel. David was supposed to be king. The problem was that the guy named Saul, who God had installed previously, is still alive and still king. And so David, he can't just go and forcefully remove it. He knows that that's not the way that God wants him to take over the kingdom, is by forcibly killing Saul and removing Saul. And so David actually goes into the service of Saul. And as David serves Saul, God gives David incredible blessing and triumph and victory to where David becomes more popular than Saul. And this rubs Saul the wrong way. So much so that one day Saul sets it in his heart that he is going to kill David. And so David, in this moment, has to go running and fleeing for his life. Like, he didn't have a moment to pack his bags. He didn't have a moment to say goodbye, other than to his best friend Jonathan. And he just goes and he goes running out into the wilderness as Saul puts out an all-call for David's head throughout the Israelite kingdom. Now, if you've been to Israel, there are literally thousands and thousands of caves in the hillside. And so as David runs from city to city trying to find refuge, he eventually finds himself in a cave. He's alone. He's abandoned. The king is out searching for him, wanting to kill him, wanting to remove his life from him. And here David was anointed king. He was supposed to be king. If there was anyone in this season of life, in this circumstance where they could question, does God see me? Is God good? Is God still faithful to his promises? It's David. In this moment. And as David's hanging out in the cave, he writes a psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 142. And this is what it says I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, You know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. We've been there. He says, I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, You are my shelter and you are my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from this prison so that I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me and because you deal generously with me. You see, even in the darkness of this cave, David's honest. He's raw. He's straight with God. He's like, look, God, no one sees me. No one cares for me. I'm alone. But yet God in his heart moves him to a place of gratitude or at least a place where he has to cry out and say, God, I need your grace in this situation. God, I am not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I cannot do this on my own. I need you to show up or that's not going to happen. Life will be over for me. And he says, God, I know that it feels like you're silent. I know it feels like you're far away, but I'm going to trust that you will be my refuge and that you will be my portion. And God, I just want you to hear my cry in this space that I need you to show up in your grace. And the amazing thing is is that God does. God does show up. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, this is where this experience is happening for David. It also happens within the narrative of the Bible, not just in the Psalms, but it happens in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And this is what it says. It says, David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Edom. This is where he writes the psalm, where he feels alone. But he ends the psalm by saying, the righteous will gather around me because you will deal generously with me. And so this is what happens. This is how God replies to the psalm. When David's brothers and his whole family heard that David was in the cave, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt discontented, rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with them. David cries out to God. He says, free me from this prison so that I can praise your name. He's like, I want to be grateful, God. I need you to free me so that I can. I need you to be gracious to me so that I can be grateful, so I can praise your name. And when these guys come, his family, The desperate, the indebted, the disconnected, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like the church to me. It sounds like a ragtag group of people, like the church, like you and me, who are the righteous who come and gather around David. It's with these 400 men that David is able to step out of the cave and into a place of gratitude and into a place of life and into a place where he can face into the trials that are set before him with Saul. And it's my prayer that if you are part of DR that the church would surround you That your family would come and that they would surround you in your time of need, in the place when you're in the cave, and that you would experience the grace of God through relationship and through community in this body. That we would come and that we would rally around you so that you could face into the trials that you have, so that you could be set free from the prison that you find yourself in to be able to praise God and be grateful again, and that you would find gratitude in the ways that God provides in relationship and community. That's why the second value here at Damascus Road, shared life, is so important. We share life together, and this is what it looks like. So what I want us to do for a moment is instead of continuing to talk about gratitude, is I want us to to experience gratitude. I want us to take a moment, and I want us to just be silent for a moment and listen to God and ask God, where is there a relationship in my life where I am grateful that they were there and that they showed up? Maybe this person walked through some stuff with you. Maybe this was a person that you observed from afar, but you saw their strength, you saw the way that they exhibited God's character and God's grace in your life, and you were just always grateful to God because of them in your life. I want us to take a moment and just ask God, reveal to me somebody that I can be grateful for in my life that I've been in community with. What I want you to do is whoever comes rising to your mind, feel your heart probably warms. It probably quickens a little. You're you're starting to feel gratitude and the grace of this person. What I want you to do is I want you this week to send a letter, send a text message, send an email, make a phone call, and just let this person know and say thank you for being there. Thank you for being God's grace when I needed it. Thank you for administering God and showing that God saw me, that God loved me, and that God was good in my time of need. And I feel like in that place, we get to practice and live out and grow in this grace that is gratitude. The discipline of gratitude is looking for moments of grace in our lives that God freely gives us. And that we would grab onto them and say, thanks. Thanks, God. It's for God's glory and our joy. And so, what I want to show us is visually, this is what gratitude I think looks like. If you want to throw up the first slide. So, it's God's grace received equals gratitude. This is what gratitude looks like lived. I want to shift now over to generosity. But as we shift to generosity, I want to review a little bit of last week where we talked about rest and work. Last week, we saw that God had given us a pattern where we rest into work, where we rest into creation. And so this pattern looks like this, if you want to put it on the next slide. So there's this correlation, there's this relationship from rest into creation that we see in the evening poem, in the the creation poem. It goes evening, morning, evening, morning, where we begin with rest, and it's from a place of rest that we get to go and then create in the world. But the reason why we rest is because God gives us the grace to rest. He gives us the commandment to rest, and he models it for us in the creation story. So next slide is that we have God's grace that gives us rest. And then what we see is that it's God's character that we go and create. You see, the reason is is that it's not like we do a bunch of resting, and then we're like, well, I guess I've rested enough. I'm going to go work. And we don't work, and then we're like, well, I guess we worked enough. I guess I'm going to rest. There's a link there. But the reason why we rest is because God has given us a gift that is rest, that is Sabbath. And the reason why we work is because God has given us his character and his image that goes and works and that goes and creates and that we find joy in creating. And I believe that this pattern is also true when we talk about gratitude and generosity, And so if you want to go to the next slide, so there's this relationship that is also from gratitude to generosity. We see that when people are grateful, they tend to be more generous. The woman buying my water bottle, she was grateful to God for allowing her the opportunity to see her son, and it moved her to a place of generosity. The other day, Rebecca and I were at Starbucks, and I was getting a drink for Rebecca, and and when we were there, somebody had paid for our drink beforehand, and we were grateful— And then the the person at the window asked, would you want to pay for the person behind you? And we were like, yeah, let's, let's do that. And so we moved from this place of gratitude to continued generosity to where we were able to bless the people behind us. But the reason why we were generous wasn't directly related to our gratitude. We were grateful, and there's a connection. There's definitely a relationship where we move from gratitude into generosity But the reason why we're grateful is because we receive God's grace. But I think that this oftentimes is where the model ends, is that we think that we receive God's grace, we're grateful, and then that means that we should then go and be generous to other people, that we should go and be gracious to other people. And that's true. The problem with this model and this picture right here is that I believe it's incomplete. I believe what this model does is that it gives us this lie, it allows the enemy to step in for a moment and give us this lie that if I'm not as generous as God is to me or that God will be as generous to me as I am to other people. A lot of times what we think is that if I'm not generous, then God won't be generous to me. And so we look at generosity and we see generosity as a should. We should be generous because God's been generous to us. So I guess I should be and, you know, I guess if I'm not as generous, then God will find a way to punish me. This, this idea lives in our mind. And it's an absurd idea. It's an absurd idea because the generosity from God is so big and it's so enormous that you are not in control of the situation. It's kind of like the parking spot that's open, right? When the parking spot's open, you didn't curate that situation. You didn't create it. The parking spot's there. You just step in and take it. It's like the water bottle. The woman opens up the opportunity, and she's like, I'll buy your water. And in that moment, you're just so struck because you have lost all control of the situation. You could say no, but you're also like, it's a $3 bottle of water. You say yes, and you step into that, and you enter into that. And that's what we do with God's grace, is we just say yes. And, what we do, and when we say yes, we're grateful. We're incredibly grateful for God's grace in our lives. And we do give it away in response. But I believe that the reason, the why we are generous, is not because of our gratitude, but because of God's character. Our God is a generous God. And we have been given God's spirit of generosity. And that when we have received God's spirit of generosity, we can't help but be transformed into the image and likeness of our God who is generous. You see, when I moved to Madison, I was by definition stingy. I was a stingy dude. I would go to restaurants and I would tip like one to two dollars. I was that guy. I didn't give at church, I didn't volunteer my time outside of church. I came to Madison to serve as a campus minister. I came from a rural community in Michigan. And the thing is, is that I was grateful. I was grateful for the services that I received. I was grateful for the ways that God had provided in my life. The thing that I was lacking is that I had not been taught God's character of generosity. I had not been taught that God is generous and that we should be generous because of who he is. My gratitude was not yielding generosity the way that we think that it should or the way that we ought. And this is why I believe that it's a character issue from God that we grow in generosity. And so what I needed when I moved to Madison and I was given one to two dollar tips and I wasn't giving, what eventually happened is that God started stirring in my heart. He's like, I want you to know me. I want you to know me at a deeper level. I want you to know my grace. I want you to know my love. I want you to know my generosity in your life. And I was like, okay, what should I do? And he's like, he's like you should start to give. And what would happen is that my friends started to confront me on my tipping. Because it's all public. You like write down the number, and like, you try not to look, but you see. And I'm just like, man, they're giving five, seven, eight dollars. And then one day my pastor has coffee with me and he's like, why aren't you giving at church? And I was like, I, 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 I don't know. And the beautiful thing is that when my friends confronted me and when my pastor confronted me about my giving and my lack of generosity, they didn't come from a place of should. My friends were like, you should tip more. This is Madison, get on the page, right? They, they didn't do that. They should have done that, but that's not what they did. My pastor, he should have been like, you should be giving. I don't know why you're not. You you're in ministry, right? Like this, like giving's a thing. And instead, the way that they approached it is they came to me and they're like, why not? Why not be generous? Why not? Why are you not generous? And the thing that I realized is that as we wrestle with generosity, as we wrestle with the decision to be generous, what comes into play is fear. Is we're afraid. We're afraid of losing. We're afraid of giving. We're afraid that if I give this $7, if I give this tithe, if I give this amount to the church, that I'm not gonna have enough for tomorrow. And it's from a place of fear that we remain in this place of stinginess, in this place of self protection, in this place of hoarding. And the reality is that God wants to break us free from that. And so when my friends and my pastor came to me and they were like, why not? I had to confront my fear of not being generous. I had to confront my fear of scarcity, that there wouldn't be enough. And so I began practicing generosity in a way that seemed absurd. I gave more on tips than I ever thought was possible, because I came from a background where tips were earned, baby. You earned those $2. To a place here where I just write the tip because it's what you do, because I'm being generous, because God has given so much. It's in God's character to be generous. And so I, when I go out and eat, I'm going to be generous on the tip line. And then when it came to church and God confronted me here and he's like, you should be giving. I realized that I should be writing checks that were also absurd and they seem absurd. They feel uncomfortable and it hurts. It hurts. And it's because there's fear around generosity of like, if I give this away, what won't be there in the future? What can't I buy? What, what experience can't I have? But the reality is that God wants to meet us in a place and he wants to show us how he is generous and how he is kind and how he begins to set us free when we enter into a place of generosity. You see what happened is, is that when I opened my heart as I was being challenged by God to be more generous. What I found was is that I began to see the world from God's perspective. My perspective began to change to where I was able to start to see how God saw other people. I began to be more gracious. I began being more loving. I began being more kind. And as we become more kind and more gracious and more generous, guess what happens? There's more opportunities for other people on the receiving side of that to feel gratitude and to experience God and to say, thank God. God sees me and God is good and God loves me and that God is present. When we look at the word generosity, the word generosity means, do you guys know what it means? It means of noble birth. Of noble birth. That is not where I thought that definition was going when I looked it up. I looked up generosity. I looked it up with every word that I look up. I'm like, what's that etymology of this? And I was like, of noble birth? Are you serious? And then I was brought to this place of Romans chapter 8, 14, where it says, we who are led by God's spirit are Sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed before us. You see, we are generous, not because we're grateful, but because God is generous because of who God is. And because of who we are, because of who God is. We are generous because we have a generous God. We have a God who owns the, cows, the thousand cows up on the field. And when our God is the King and the Creator of the universe, when our Father is the good Father who gives us good gifts, the question is why not be generous? Why not be generous? Why not give it all away? And this is where we have to go to war within ourselves and confront our fear to confront our fear of scarcity. And the reality is, is that when we grow in this grace of generosity, when we begin to enter into generosity, it's hard. It was hard to write bigger tips. It was hard to start giving to the church. It's difficult, but that's the way dif- disciplines work. The thing is, is that we're, we're working in the place of the supernatural, not the natural, And the thing is is that sometimes the supernatural doesn't feel like how we think the supernatural should feel. Sometimes we think the supernatural should just feel, I don't know, supernatural, right? Like, wham, I get hit, and everything becomes great. We don't think that the supernatural is going to require us to make sacrifice, to dig in, to reach in and evaluate our hearts and the lies that we believe. The reality is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We are of noble birth. We have the resources to be generous. And the reality is that generosity does hurt. Jesus warns us this in Matthew 16, 24. He says this, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. So, when we hoard, when we protect, when we have a scarcity mindset, we are in a place where we are in danger of losing our lives. We think that we're going to be more happy when we hoard and we hold things in. The reality is that they've done studies, secular studies, that show that people who are more generous just are generally more happy. They're more happy people because they understand the joy of what it is to give it away. Jesus continues by saying, "But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." What will a profit man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What we shall we say? To, what shall a man give in return for his soul? And if we go back to Romans 17, we also see that it says that if we're children, we're heirs of God, and we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with him. There's going to be a cost in our generosity. And that's hard to step into sometimes. But there is a cost for God and his generosity as well. And if God's willing to make the sacrifice and if his spirit's within us, he's going to compel us to make the same sacrifice as well. That's why Jesus invites us to pick up our cross and go with him. We should not be surprised when the beginning moments of generosity hurt. And Paul, he says, he continues in verse 18, he says this, he says, but I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Anyone who has grown in generosity, anyone who has experienced the grace of generosity coming into their life knows this, knows this truth, that there is joy on the other side of the sacrifice that is generosity, joy that cannot be contained, joy that is difficult to explain, but is one that you just know brings the kingdom of God forward into this world. And that's what we're about. That's who we want to be as a people. We want to be generous because our God is a generous God. In Malachi 3.10, this is the quintessential verse on generosity, by the way. You've probably heard it a million times. It's often gotten cliche. I almost didn't mention it because I'm just like, it's such a cliche verse. And this is what Malachi 3.10 says. He says, Bring forth the full tithe into the storehouse so that there might be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing on you until there is no more need. God says test me in this and there has been a number of times where I've sat where you are sitting and I've heard preachers quote this verse and I've sat there with my arms crossed and I said yeah whatever. You're supposed to quote that verse because it's there. And it's really inconvenient for me. The reality is, is that I've lived it, I've seen it, and it's true. It's true. When I started giving generously to the church, when I started giving generously as I went out and serving to the service, as I started living a more generous lifestyle, guess what God started doing in my life? He started breaking down strongholds that were once in my life, strongholds that I could not shake. He started pouring blessing out into my life in ways that I never expected or could have imagined to receive that showed that God was good and that God was gracious. And I love this verse. This is the way that God ruined me, just ruined me in this season where I was struggling with to be generous or to not be generous. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 3. It's actually chapter 2. And it says, let's see. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I've got to share it. It's so good. So it says this. It says, you too previously lived among those who in their fleshly desires carried out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And you were by nature children of wrath, as were the also's other. But God, who is rich in mercy, you could say who's rich in generosity, Because of his great love for us, made us alive again with the Messiah. Though that even though you are dead, you are saved by grace. Together with Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. This is where we become of noble birth. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace, not through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not from works that anyone would boast, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we would walk in them. You see, when I had this poverty mindset, when I had this mindset where I just needed to hold into my belongings and not be generous, the mindset that I had was that I had to earn God's love, that I had to earn God's grace that I had to hoard that to, that I had to prove myself. And what I found is that when God opened my arms and ripped them open to generosity and giving and freedom, he also opened me up to receiving his grace and his love and his character. And ultimately, I believe in salvation. God is good, and he wants you to know that he loves you and that he sees you, and that he has poured out blessings on you and that he wants us to grow in his character like him. You see, when we grow in the character of God, when we grow as generous, we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and our relationship with him. When we are generous, our perspective of the world shifts, and we begin to see the world through God's eyes. And when we share the riches of the kingdom of God in our time, it's through our presence and through our work and through our finances that we testify to the rest of the world that God sees us and that God loves us that God is good, and that he's for us. So what I want us to do is we're about to enter into a response time, a response time where we worship God, and we give him praise for the ways that he has shown his grace to us. It's also a response time where we come and we take communion, where he gave his life up for us and remember the sacrifice that he's given us. And if for some reason you miss the plates or you've been moved to a place where you want to grow in God's character of generosity, there's giving boxes on the side where you can respond in that way as well. And so as you come to this place of worship, as you come to this place of response, what I want us to ask the question is, is I want you to enter into a place of prayer. And if you're in a place where you're just not feeling grateful, I want you to ask God, meet me there. Meet me in this place of my ingratitude and soften my heart. And show me that you are good. Show me that you love me. Show me that you are near. And I pray that God would meet you in that place. If you're in this spot where you are struggling with what it is to be generous, or you feel God stretching you and growing you in your generosity, because it's a work that's not complete. It's, not a, it's a work that's not even complete in me. It's a work that's continually growing, continually stretching. If God is working that inside of you, just ask God, God, soften my heart to your character that is to see others, and to give grace and love to others, that you might administer that to others as well. Last week, and in conclusion, Shannon read this verse from Matthew eleven twenty eight, And it says, Come to me, all you who labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so in this response time, just turn to Jesus. Take on his yoke, whether it's in gratitude or in generosity, and learn from him. Learn from him and receive from him this morning because he's good, he loves you, and he sees you. Amen.